In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. It has been just three weeks since the topic of a sermon in this church was mass murder. In the intervening time, we have continued to hear reports of the deadly drumbeat of global terror, Istanbul, Dhaka, Baghdad, and Medina. And then this awful week, Alton Sterling, Philando Castile, black men killed at the hands of police for no comprehensible reason. Brent Thompson, Patrick Zamaripa, Michael Kroll, Michael Smith, Lorne Ahrens, five police officers, white and Latino, shot dead by a lone black gunman. Again, for no comprehensible reason. As a peaceful Black Lives Matter protest ended, with police and protesters taking pictures together. And then the usual, the presidential statement, the usual suspects writing boneheaded tweets and then deleting them, families whose grief can only be made worse by having their loved ones terrible final moments streaming in an endless loop on the Facebook newsfeed, and then the piles of thoughts and prayers, thoughts and prayers, thoughts and prayers. Now, given the recent track record of thoughts and prayers in preventing such disasters, I think it's fair to ask, what does it matter that we're Christians? A moment ago, we heard one of the most famous stories in the Gospels, or anywhere else for that matter. As Jesus is talking with his disciples, a lawyer stands up and asks him what he must do to obtain eternal life. Jesus tells the lawyer that he already knows the answer, and the lawyer recites the summary of the law. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your strength and with all your mind and your neighbor as yourself. Jesus confirms that he has responded correctly. Do this and you will live. But then the lawyer goes on to ask, who is my neighbor? Now this is not a genuine question. The lawyer wants to justify himself. He's seeking the loophole that narrows down that list of neighbors to a manageable, finite group of people, preferably a lot like himself. So Jesus tells this story. Robbers attack a man and leave him half dead on the side of a road. A priest comes along 
sees the man and crosses to the other side of the road, presumably so that he can pretend that he doesn't see him. The same with a second passerby. And then the third man, a Samaritan, finds the man, binds his wounds, puts him on the back of his animal, and pays for him to be cared for in an inn. Which one was this man's neighbor, Jesus asks. The lawyer can't even choke out the word Samaritan. Saying the name of a long-standing enemy of the Jews is too much for him. The one who showed him mercy, he says instead. Which is good enough for Jesus? Go and do likewise, he instructs the lawyer. Jesus is telling this story to the lawyer, but he is also telling it to the disciples. You see, a few weeks prior to this encounter, Jesus and the disciples entered a Samaritan village looking for a place to stay. And the Samaritans refused to receive them because they were heading for Jerusalem. The disciples were so offended that they asked Jesus if they could respond by raining down fire from heaven to consume them. Jesus rebuked them then, and here he shows them why. It's not just that Jesus is merciful, though he is. It's that Jesus knows that enmity need not and should not be a permanent state. There is no heart that cannot be moved to compassion. And the ones who rescue us from dying in a ditch may be the ones we neither expect nor even want. It feels like we live in tenuous times. There are prominent voices that want us to think that we have to make a choice between believing that racism is real and deadly and must be stopped, and that the police who put themselves at risk deserve our respect and support. We're in a civil war, blares the headlines of one newspaper. Watch out, Black Lives Matter. Real America is coming for you, tweeted one former congressman. This idea that we have to choose whose life we're going to value more Make no mistake, it is a lie straight from the pit of hell. Pitting one against the other is the work of the evil one, and we are not going to do the devil's work. Now, we will choose a side. We will choose the side of Jesus. We will choose the side of the cross. And I'm going to suggest four ways we can make that choice.
First, pray. Now, when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites who like to offer thoughts and prayers in official statements so that they may be seen by others. They have received their reward. Instead, pray as Jesus taught, in private and keeping it simple. Pray for God's will to be done. Pray for bread. Pray for forgiveness. Pray to forgive. Pray that your heart may not be infected by evil. Second, we should not be in the business, as the lawyer was, of justifying ourselves. When you do an internet search for Alton Sterling, you know how Google suggests things as you type? The third result that comes up is Alton Sterling record. That's live evidence in ones and zeros of people trying to justify themselves, willfully blinding themselves to what is happening by convincing themselves that somehow a previous arrest or conviction is a reason for instant execution with neither judge nor jury. Don't let that be us. Third, let's not be too quick to cast ourselves in the role of the Samaritan. Let's take a look at the parts of ourselves that are lying wounded on the side of the road. What kind of sickness is it that alienates us from others in suspicion and fear? What kind of blindness is it that can only see the evil of racism when it is presented to us in the form of snuff films automatically streaming on our Facebook feeds? Can we see that those crying out for justice, for oppressed black communities, for police trying to keep order in a country awash with guns, are also offering us healing from illness. And finally, look at the Samaritan. Archbishop Desmond Tutu once said, the good news to the hungry is bread. The priest may well have been muttering thoughts and prayers as he went by. But the good news to an injured man is healing. And it was the Samaritan who saw the man, who cleaned and bandaged his wounds, and provided for him to be cared for in the inn. It's the Samaritan who brought the kingdom of God near the man in the ditch. What we speak and pray here is important because by the grace of God, our hearts are transformed. But just as we believe that Jesus Christ is truly here through the sacrament that we will soon celebrate, so we are called to be truly there 
out. Seeing the suffering, not moving to the other side of the road, and not just identifying, but doing the practical things that we can do to be the hands and feet of Christ bringing about the kingdom of God. After the horrific killings in Dallas on Thursday night, there were a flood of images from Dallas and elsewhere of people coming out to embrace police officers, to give them flowers in their apprehension and grief. Black and white, clergy and lay. Natasha Howell, a young black woman, recounted an encounter with a police officer in a convenience store. She writes, he asked me how I was doing. I replied, okay, and you? He looked at me with a strange look and asked me, how are you really doing? I looked at him and said, I'm tired. His reply was, me too. Then he said, I guess it's not easy being either of us right now, is it? And I said, no, it's not. Then he hugged me and I cried. Who was the Samaritan in that moment? Who was lying on the side of the road? Who knows? But that's a vision of the kingdom of God, friends. And we have a part to play in bringing it near. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.